This week's show sponsored by Magic Cap, home of the Magic Cop. Are you sick of not getting benched? Are you sick of not getting enough likes on your Instagram page? Magic, Magic Cap. Cap. It's the answer to all your fucking problems. It was the answer to mine. That's for damn shit. Laying down a nice solid fill and cutting back lines nice and crisp was just, you know, too much work for my lazy ass. I just didn't want to do it. Thank God there's magic cap. All I had to do was, you know, put the cap on the can and <laughs> the paint came out and it looked a lot better than before. It was great. Thanks, magic cap. For only three small payments of $21.99, the magic cap can be yours. Unless you'd like to do one hard payment of $60. <laughs> You'll get your magic cap paid for in no time. <laughs> we accept all forms of payment. MasterCard, Visa, EBT, anything you got, we'll take it. Fuck, we'll take your firstborn. But the sooner you pay off your magic cap, the sooner you'll be burning fools. Keep it clean, this oh. is a rental car. <laughs> it's a rental car. He helps me downstack and I help him unload. Here, I'll look away. We're not going to make contact. Welcome to crime time. Ah, uh, that's a hell of a talk to us. Home of the conjugal visits. Oh. <laughs> other artists from other city states and they come and ask me if they can actually get in here. Okay, my voice on recording. Lean forward, we're gonna tie this on okay. you. Oh, hey, that's a little tight. Oh, this is great. They have very no bra. Can you ask everybody to do this? <laughs> I'm like, how come I haven't heard about this? Like you a good rodeo? Like a good rodeo? And that shit was a big thing. I was like, well, save my life, don't let me die. You're cocky and you're dick. It's about time for us to get on our bikes, huh? I don't give a rat's ass whose fault it was. Meet good people and shitty people as well. Right side. There was something in the air that night. The stars were bright. Crime time. This is T-Boy with Max Payne the Groovies. We love chugging beer and you should tune in to Crime Time. Man, it's Barley in studio. Welcome back to Crime Time, home of the conjugal visits. Two things to be uh, stoked about today. First of all, we're alive, so congratulations, another day on the planet. And two, we've got a sub-interview. So kick back, relax, peel the panties, peace. You know, Sub, for a lot of the new writers, they don't really know what it was like back then to paint. Let's just drop back, you know, a couple decades, let these guys know what it was like, and maybe kind of where you grew up and kind of what got you going in the first place. It was definitely a different time. I think there was a lot of experimenting going on. I think the idea that there's plenty of people that I was aligning myself with were totally open for me to do whatever I wanted to do. And I didn't know much, you know, like any of us. When you're 15, 16, 17, you're just exploring. You don't know what's going on. I mean, looking at older stuff, sort of trying to take an influence from it, and then whatever is around you normally, you're trying to put that into it. The good thing is that I had a lot of people who were just like, yeah, do what you got to do. Just let it evolve. That's a lot of the stuff that was going on in the late 80s and 90s. A new evolution from the 80s form of graffiti, which I love. I love the 80s stuff, you know, the early 80s. I mean, it would have been great to be a part of it. I just was too young. I wasn't born at the right time. 
I had a lot of family. My family's like business was in the Bronx. So I would go there as a kid and there was just trains everywhere and there was graffiti everywhere. So I, I just grew up around it. I uh, spent a lot of time in the Bronx growing up. It was just part of what I did, even though I didn't start painting until the late 80s. How did you know and at what age that you were going to be an artist or that you were good at art? You know, it's one of those things as far back as I can remember. I just remember drawing and just being into pictures, checking out pictures, whether they were like books or obviously cartoons. I think most of the people I come across, I have a podcast too, and we interview a lot of uh, artists. So many of them were like, I grew up watching cartoons. And, you know, from the early Bugs Bunnies, the Tom and Jerry's, you know, all that's at the Popeyes and all that. It just became something you were totally into. And I think it really influenced, you know, for me, for sure. But I've definitely talked to a lot of people and it seemed to do the same. I think there's a certain amount of natural want just being around certain things as uh, as much as I was the cartoons and the books and all that stuff I think that just it definitely like adds to the maybe the natural want to want to go make pictures um, is there anyone else in your family that's artistic no I was like the black sheep weirdo did they know that you were going to do something with it at some point they, or they knew that I was really into drawing and stuff like that so they kind of uh, supported that my family's from Europe I was first generation born here. So I think in their old school culture, the idea of being an artist was still this noble thing to do. So to them, they're like, that's great, go for it. Where um, uh, American families at the time were like, oh, I gotta, you know, have a backup, you know, have a, a fallback. But yeah, when you're growing up, it was, I like to draw. And they were like, that's cool, draw me a picture. Yo, yo, uh, so Submarine, who was some of your first uh, influences in the graffiti? Definitely a lot of the, the early Bronx stuff because it was just, it seemed natural and I was just exposed to it. But a lot of the 80s, like subway train stuff was cool. But when I started looking at the characters, you know, when they just started trying to like really make backgrounds and stuff like that, and I kind of noticed that they were taking from some cartoons or they were taking from comic books or something like that. So some of that stuff, I would then notice it. Oh, oh that's kind of like that graffiti stuff. To be honest, the stuff that really started to influence me is when I started hooking up with my friends. So their styles, their energy, their wanting to be better, to get out there and get up, that definitely like fueled the furnace. A lot of the guys you painted with seem like all-stars, man. Uh, let's just pick a guy. How about Emmett? What was it like uh, crushing with him back in the day? He's, you know, he's from Connecticut. I was from, from Westchester, which borders Connecticut, going super local right now. We ended up meeting in the Bronx at 238th Street, which is a famous, famous spot, because I saw that he and Gaze and Cycle and a bunch of guys would go down there from Connecticut to paint, because it was this like amazing spot, and it was a daytime spot. We had a lot of common upbringing, like he was into like BMX and you know, kind of punk rock, and we did the same, so we just had this kind of similar lifestyle. When we met, I don't know how many, we were probably doing it for two or three years at the time. He's just one of those like naturally gifted people at just doing letter forms. He was just able to make these like really nice straight lines. And I was like, how'd you do that? And he's like, you just kind of do it like this. And I was like, oh, okay, let me work on that. But then, yeah, we just started painting a lot. And like w with anything else you do in your life, you, you become friends with somebody and then you want to hang out. 
and do this thing that you're both passionate about. We would do that a lot. He and Gaze and all these like the Connecticut guys. A lot for a long time, everybody thought I was from Connecticut because I would paint with them so much. But it was only because they were fun to paint with, and I knew that you know when we started getting better and getting a lot more um, recognition, and if we started doing big walls it got to the point where you just never had to worry about any of those guys getting fresh on the wall because you just knew that they were going to come off hard. So that was always just like this nice feeling to know that I could just worry about me not looking like an idiot because I just know they're going to come correct on it. It just became this really symbiotic little relationship. That's cool, man. It definitely seems like you've been surrounded by talent most of your painting career, both in and out of graph. That kind of leads into my next question. So how exactly did you get involved with the FX crew? You know, we were painting in the Bronx a lot with I Am OK, illegal stuff. Bombing, we were doing pieces, like productions and everything in between. And it's just a matter of time that you're going to cross paths. My buddy, Cess, they all started painting. And Cess was like, hey, come and paint with us. And I started doing a few walls with them. And it just worked out. We gelled nicely started doing some big walls but I th- at the time I was doing some really big like top to bottom walls with gaze and all these guys for a while so it was that was the way I was going they were doing the same thing so we were both doing the this idea of going bigger and better it seemed to work out that I was like hey let me go bigger and better with you guys as well and it would, it helps that you know they I love their styles and and they were definitely eager to get out there. I mean, they were, they were workhorses. It just worked out really well at the times because I think some of those early 90s walls I did with them, they changed the game. And when you had some of the, um, the European guys come over and then it became a, a mix between like Bronx, New York, graffiti, and then you had Dime and at the time Hesh and Lumit and all these guys, Toast and all these guys coming over to the States. And we all started doing walls together. It was just, it was like the Super Bowl of graffiti at the time. We had all these like ridiculously talented people doing this one thing. And if you know the cool thing about graffiti is that there's a huge amount of improv like right on the wall where we would like maybe sketch up very loosely uh, the idea of what we were going to do. And then it just became, all right, and then make it up on a wall. It was almost like playing jazz. You're around these incredible talent and you know that each one can hold their own and you just see what happens like there wasn't necessarily a plan i still look back at those and i'm like damn those are pretty fucking dope actually (laughs) even for you know by today's standards uh, i still think some of those are pretty amazing was there money to be made in the graffiti game back then i mean did you guys make some cash on those murals no money we were just doing it like anything else we were doing these giant walls and we're like you know figuring out ways to get the paint you know, as far as the FX side, you know, Per would definitely organize and do a lot of stuff so we can just paint. So we owe, we owed him a lot for that. But on the I am okay DF side, we were doing it as raw dog as we can. We were just getting the paint and by you know, whatever means necessary. And we would just do these walls. I mean, even got to the point where we would do these walls in Manhattan and Bronx we're like, oh, you guys are those like legal wall guys. And we're like, yeah, yeah, legal walls, sure. But they didn't realize that in the early 90s that we would just roll up to a spot, like a parking you know, lot area in Manhattan. We'd go up to the 
the guy who's manning the parking lot, he's just a working Joe. And I'd be like, yo, here's a couple of bucks. Just if the cops roll by, just say it's all good. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So for a while, nobody was doing that. So we just like, we kind of figured it out. We, we outsmarted the rules because we'd be doing these walls in the daytime in the middle of like a very busy area. A cop would roll by and we'd just look at him and just continue painting. So they would just keep rolling by because they're like, they're not running. They're not even paying attention to us, so I guess it's just this legal thing. They'd look at the parking attendant, and he would just be sitting there hanging out. So it was like we Jedi mind-tricked them. So we were doing that for a while before people started catching on to what we were doing. And then they started doing it, and then the cops sort of got hip to it, and then everybody started getting arrested. Kind of the first to really just be like, oh, no, this is legal. It's all good. But we, it was completely illegal. It was like we, we fully just backdoored this production in front of their faces and we were like peace out as soon as we were done you know Subwoof in the earlier years of graffiti it seemed like you uh, were in every video every VHS tape I popped in every page of a magazine I flipped how did you align yourself to get in all these know anybody uh, what was it it, a lot of it was just circumstance. But, you know, when they had those, like, videos or even the magazines back in the day, we didn't know any of that's going to be, you know, if people were going to watch it. We'd have people coming up to us being like, hey, do you mind if we videotape you doing this wall when we were doing, like, a legal wall or something? Whether it was a, with the FX guys or something, we were like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. At the time, I wasn't, we weren't necessarily really getting crazy with the bombing. So the idea of showing our face we just didn't really think twice about it at the time. But that said, you know, when we were doing the videos at that point, we were like, yeah, you know, whatever, Let's, who cares? So people would just videotape us and then they would maybe come afterwards and say, hey, we're going to put this thing out. And we're like, yeah, whatever. You know, you know it, I don't even know if I ever signed a release for that type of stuff because it just wasn't in the, the zeitgeist. You know, it just wasn't, we didn't know what we were doing. So we would just do it and it got out and apparently some of that stuff kind of got around from one hand to the other. Like there wasn't a place, graffiti supplies or two places in the country. You know, there's one in New York and one in LA or something like that. But otherwise that shit was completely by just trading and people just getting it by all means necessary, which is what I learned later on when I was like in the you know Midwest or in middle America when they're like, oh, you were in this magazine, you were in this video. And I'm like, which one? This is all before the modern, what would become the modern day of graffiti and and you know Instagram and anything on the internet. It was just by getting out there, doing as many walls as possible. And because you did so many walls, you were a little bit more in the public eye. So people would come to New York, tourists or something would take photos and those photos would get around. So that was the other way. It definitely was by volume too. We did a lot of work in a lot of big visible places. So subservient, do you believe that uh, being an artist before graffiti was kind of an unfair advantage once you got involved with it? I was always into painting and drawing, and my influences were ju weren't just graffiti. I was exposed to classical painting. I was exposed to graphic design. I was exposed to, like I was saying, cartoon stuff, everything. You know, music, all this stuff that just influences everything you do as a person. Definitely, I was able to draw something that sort of looked like the thing I was trying to draw. You know, it definitely helped on the wall because like anything else, it becomes a problem solving thing where I'm like, all right, this is what I want to do. So how the hell do I do it? All right, this, I did it this time and it was okay, but I'll have to try to do it better the next time. As far as having that type of attitude, I don't know if you can teach that. 
as far as just being like, you know, whether it's like self-deprecating and being like, I kind of suck and I need to get a little better because I can't hang uh, with some of these, the other stuff that I admire a lot. But I think most artists you talk to, I think we all deep down think we're all frauds. Like I'm a fraud. So I think a lot of it was just insecurity to be like, all right, I got to try to get better because they're all going to know I'm a fraud, that I'm not very good, actually. At a young age, did you know that you were going to do art for a living? Was that inspired by graffiti or did you know you were going to do it anyway? Yeah, I mean, graffiti, I started graffiti pretty young. I was probably like, what, 15, first started. So as far as having like making a living off of it, no, of course, I was too young. But, you know, even in like, you know, middle school, if I remember as far back, the idea of like, hey, bro, can you paint like, you know, Iron Maiden on the back of my jean jacket? I'm like, hell yeah, how much are you going to give me? You know, so it's like the idea of making a living from your ability to draw was always something that I thought I was going to do. But, you know, a little older you get when you start having that idea of like, what am I going to do? It always just went back to art. Like, I just want to paint and draw. You know, I was already doing graffiti. I was, I was also studying painting, like classical painting and stuff at the time and pursuing both pretty separately, but, but not really because it's just who you are. So even though I might be like, oh, I'm going to go study classical painting and I'm a graffiti artist, even though they're two completely different genres, you're the same person. They're going to influence each other. You're, they're going to influence you, the, the vessel that is walking around with all these thoughts, no matter what. So when you start making a little bit of money in graph, probably I studied illustration in college. So it became the same mentality. Well, if I'm getting paid to do a book cover, then I should maybe be paid to do something like a wall mentality-wise. But I started realizing that I didn't want to be paid for graffiti because that was there was this like a raw energy that I just needed so I would just go do graffiti you know when I would do a book cover or an illustration for something yeah I wanted to get paid to problem solve this job when I was on the street I was like if I get paid then you're going to tell me what I have to paint and I don't want that so I kept them separate for that reason um, even when people were like well you know you're this like famous graffiti artist nowadays why don't you mix that into your your fine art, like currently type of stuff. And there's just this authenticity about when I was doing graffiti on the street that I like and I wanted it to stay that way. So I didn't necessarily mix and match them when it was the right time, meaning when I had a little bit more focus on me as the you know graffiti artist. A lot of people did and they did real well with it. You know, For me, I was like, well, I'm gonna focus in on this other thing and it's just not graffiti. So I'm just gonna go completely myopically focus on this one thing and just put everything into it. And then when I'm not doing that, I'll go do this graffiti thing because then I could just focus in on that and not have the two worlds mix because I didn't want to maybe compromise either. It's a long-winded way of saying I had too much respect for both parts of my life that I didn't want them to necessarily you know, take anything out of the experience of making that, uh, the pictures that I was making at the time. Is painting challenging for you or it's what? So, it's so hard. That whole idea of like the more you know, the harder everything gets. Like I really wish I was kind of ignorant. I've just been concentrating on this other thing because once I got into it, I didn't realize how much of your time that it's going to take to learn how to even be semi-capable of doing this stuff, which is, you know, my kind of fine art career now, which is more classically based. You know, if I get an idea and I want to do these things, I set it up in my studio or wherever I'm painting, if I'm out landscape painting or something like that. But I set them up and I do everything from life. So I don't use photographs. I don't really do a lot of modern technical things. It's just 
the idea is that I'm trying to pursue this deeper idea of being present and trying to say, here's a result of my time with this thing that I thought of, and this is, for me, the best way to um, represent it. And it, it always is like, because I need to be in front of it. So if I'm going to paint a portrait of somebody, I don't want to paint photograph of somebody. I want to hang out with that person and sit in my studio and be like, you know, talk a little bit, see what they're all about, because I feel like that it's going to get into the painting, the idea that you spent some time with this person or an object. You brought up the gas mask. The painting is called Nom de Plume, which is your pen name. The older I get, the more I'm starting to realize that all these things we're talking about, all the things that were important to me as a child or as a young adult, are important to me now and I should totally represent them if I can and try to do them some justice actually in how important they were in my life and how cool they were, especially now when you have like one minute attention span, like to be able to go back and say this stuff that you put your heart and soul in at the time or these experiences you had as a, as a young adult are super important now and they influence everything I'm doing now whether I know it or not. You're talking about the firecracker painting. You know, I did a few of them, but that's totally an homage to, like, what it was to be, like, a young fucking wild kid. Almost, like, self-reflective way. Teenage kids doing stupid shit. So, Subway, what's the difference between graffiti and fine art? Clearly, there's some similarities to them. And do you miss graffiti? The thing that they have in common is the politics. If one thing I don't miss from not being as, you know, being very active these days in graffiti is the politics. Because you know this, everybody listening to their radio right now is like probably nodding their heads like, yeah, the politics suck. It, it was such stupid shit when I used to hear about, you know, anything that would pop off in the graffiti world. I'm just like, are you being serious? This is the fucking stupid shit, stupidest shit I've ever heard. But it's just what it is. It's part of it. Figure out ways to navigate. And it's in a fine art world, there's plenty of politics and stuff you know i've definitely isolated myself from a lot of the bigger fine art world because that's a big ass world and a lot of it is would just melt your brain as far as some of the stupidity in it it's my career now so you're you have to dip your toe in every so often to see what's going on but you spend a lot of time alone in your studio just sort of figuring shit out you it's inevitable that you're going to come across your own insecurities and then I pop my head into the fine art world and I see some stupid shit and I'm like oh no I'm all right I'm gonna go like it sort of reaffirms that I'm on the right path as hard as it is unsatisfying as it is it definitely reaffirms that I'm like oh no I'm doing the right thing you know let me bring this to the graffiti world you know you see the politics that we've all had you know in your hometown in your home city with your crew or rival crews or and you're like why the fuck am i doing this shit you know this is so stupid it's not worth it you know and you know getting arrested having a record but then you go out with your friends and you do a dope spot that's like impossible to hit and you got it or you do a, a huge wall with your friends and it just comes out so good and everybody comes off fresh or any of the things that graffiti does offer anybody who does it and you're like oh yeah it's kind of worth it <laughs> yeah, you know with all the bullshit that surrounds it when you get that satisfaction it's like a drug let's say you illustrate a book and you're like okay that was fun 
at what point do you say, I'm going to illustrate another book or I'm going to, I'll illustrate a book when the opportunity comes or do you pursue it from there or do you? But at the time, you know, you'd get like a rep. If you were going to be an illustrator, you'd get a rep and they would find the work for you because the internet and all that stuff wasn't really big. So names, you know, your name wasn't really out there, um, meaning you would put it out on your own by all this hard work or you know, getting out there and, and pounding the pavement. So you had reps doing all that stuff for you. So when you're doing like a book illustration, you would do it. And then if it sold well, the book company uh, would come back and say, hey, you know, do another one. Uh, the other thing you could do is like, at least back then is like, yeah, if you were doing a lot of work and your name was out there, it, hopefully it trickles down or at least word of mouth gets to certain people who would want to hire you for whether your look or your talent. Um, early on, I worked for MTV when I was in college, early uh, mid-90s uh, MTV look. That was me. <laughs> so like I worked for you know, Beavis and Butthead, and I worked on all these like, TV shows that were MTV shows at the time. And they, you know, th while I was in there doing that stuff, they knew that I was this like, graffiti artist. So, you know, some of the higher ups would be like, hey, do you want to do some graffiti for us? And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, things. But to me, it wasn't graffiti. It was just like, oh, this is like another illustration. So I'll do an illustration for them. I wasn't out, out there painting the wall, you know, painting stuff on the walls. I would just do artwork for them, give it to them, and they do whatever with it. But it just happened to be because I just happened to be working for the company at the time. That's before I started working for like Disney and, and other. There was a show called Doug that apparently got pretty big. Like I just worked on it but I've come across a lot of people who are like oh that I saw that show a lot so I worked on that 101 Dalmatians a bunch of movies for them and it just seems like a lifetime ago and I don't remember a lot about it because I wasn't really present a lot I was always like it was a gig to me because I had other things that I wanted to do that were you know way more important and a lot of that was just like exploring the world whether it's through graffiti or my own fine art even back then it was a means to another avenue uh, do you, did you see the movie, The Original Point Break? Uh, with, of course. Uh, have you seen the newest one that came out? I mean, no. I've heard they're, you know, they're making like a, they're redoing Roadhouse. I'm like, how do you remake a perfect movie? It's just not going to be as good. I'm sorry. Because when you have an original idea, which is a bunch of surfers who are become bank robbers, that's so fucking dumb that you're like, that's perfect. And how you can't redo that. Yeah, definitely. You should never redo something like that. Love that skydiving scene in there, too. Top five. Uh, so, Sub, you got a uh, podcast, don't you? My, my buddy Ted and I, Edward Minoff, well, Ted Minoff, he's an amazing painter. You know, we studied together, you know, classical painting and stuff together. But what's weird about it is that we actually met in um, the New York City subway system. He was a graffiti artist. So we spent the day painting and kind of, going up to like Washington Heights and doing all this like weird, crazy shit. And as we got comfortable with each other, we started kind of talking about who we were and we started realizing that we liked a lot of the same shit. He was into like classical painting too. He was into like the same bands and he lived like five blocks away from me. He got me some of my first jobs like while we were in college. Uh, he went to NYU and I went to School of Visual Arts in New York City. Been really tight since then. You know, about a year and a half ago maybe, we were like, we want to talk to people who do whatever they do at a really like high level. So the idea is that we wanted to talk to people who are just, their craft is like really important to them. Obviously we're going to skew it towards what we're doing in our personal lives, which is like 
contemporary realistic painting. I mean, that's just what we do. So we know that whole world really well. So we get most of those people on. But it doesn't mean that I can't get like a chef. I can't get somebody who's like a tattoo artist or somebody, you know, somebody who's making music or somebody who's making furniture. Because if you take the word like painter out or sculptor out and you put in this person's craft, it's like it's the same shit. We're starting to realize that we're all very interested in is people who do something at such a high level who dedicate their lives to something to do to be great at it. That's generally the people we want to talk to. Say I've never listened to your podcast and there was one that you were going to have me listen to. What show should I listen to? Maybe the, the Vincent Desiderio one is pretty interesting because he's an interesting guy and he's smart as fuck. There's a couple that we have in a can, some old ones, with Cess uh, and a few other graffiti artists, and we just never edited them yet, and we still have them, and I definitely want to get them out. But we have our third mic is this guy Jay Braun. He's a sound engineer, so he edits them. So I, I definitely want to revisit some of those, um, the graph ones. You know, there's a few uh, murals you've done that stand out, like the Mad Professor, and there's another one with, like, the demons where they're kind of, like, erasing the pieces. Uh, why don't you tell us about those and how they came about? Emmett moved to Colorado from the Northeast, go out there and snowboard, and then we would go paint walls. But yeah, there was this time when I was going out to Denver a lot, and just the Midwest in general, to paint graffiti. And people like, you know, Rapes in, in Cincinnati, Scribe in Kansas City, East is from Chicago, but he lives in Denver now. All that crew uh, in middle America would fly out, paint walls, because, you know, for me, they're the best. They're just getting better and better, obviously. I mean, with anything, you just, the more you do it, the better you become. But, but like that Mad Professor wall and maybe the wall, I don't know if that one was first or the one we did after that with like the, the two devils drawing. Yeah, yeah, with the pencil and you could see it yeah. kind of being erased. Yeah, that was a few years apart. But again, it was that mind frame at the time where there were no rules. I would go to Denver. We would come up with an idea if we were going snowboarding or we're, you know, at a bar drinking or something like that. And I'd be like, that's a cool idea. And then we would do it. So there wasn't a lot of prep on any of those. The spontaneity might be a little bit more back in those days because now it's a lot of just like street art. You know, I have sort of thoughts about street art versus, you know, real graffiti or something like that. But we would just like, we, we would, there was a certain amount of like, oh yeah, we can kind of do this. And then we, we can kind of do that. And generally, this is again, probably over beers. And um, we'd come up with an idea, and then the next day we'd get a, you know, our supplies together, go to the wall, and just start doing it. And so there's a certain amount of freestyle on those walls that, you know, pretty brave for uh, you know nowadays because everything I do now is so calculated in my like fine art that I sort of long for that the ability to just freestyle like we did back then, and and hopefully get a good result. But again, like I said earlier in the in the recording, when you're when you're, when you're painting with an Emmett or a Scribe or a Raves or an East or any of these guys, you know, even to the point like the, the Cesses and the, you know, the FX and all these, you know, the Dimes and all these people I've painted with in my career, it's like you're in good hands, meaning you just have to concentrate on your thing because you know that the person you're painting with is going to come off just hard. So, you know, those walls are damn fun. And actually just yesterday... Jive sent me a, um, a Facebook message saying uh, a jam going on in September. And I was just like, I need to get back out there and paint some walls because it's been way too long. And now I have like a kid and, you know, a career and everything. So it's only, be it, it only got harder in the last like 
six, seven, eight years to get out and do walls. And about a month ago, I did a, a commercial for a, a, a Scotch company called Buchanan. They wanted like an artist be in a room with a graffiti artist and they do this collaborative thing. That's like the idea of the, the storyline in the commercial. So when they called me up, they were like, yeah, we want to do this thing. There's an artist and a graffiti artist in a room. And, you know, I still get calls every once in a while about, you know, my graffiti, you know, history. And I was like, oh, so you want me to do, do a wall? Do you want me to do some graffiti? And they're like, no, why are you saying that? And I'm like, because you're calling me about graffiti? They're like, no, we're calling you about being the fine artist. So I was like, no way. And they're like, why? What were you? And I was like, yeah. And I kind of told them like, oh, yeah, I used to do a graffiti. They're like, that's amazing. I was like, well, who's the graffiti artist? And they're like, Guy Amuse from Chicago. Uh, they're like, you know him? I was like, yeah, we all paint with the same people. And they're like, this is perfect. So we ended up doing a wall for a commercial and it was, but we, it was fun as hell. So I lately I've been really wanting to go out. So when I got that uh, text jive about this Denver thing going down, I was like, you know what? Let me see if I can get my ass out to Denver to, to come off proper on a wall if I can these days. <laughs> You're the artist. You can paint probably almost anything if you really wanted to. Mm. How do you decide indefinitely what you're going to paint kind of being present as far as like alive and living you know you're always being influenced by stuff around you so what i try to do and it doesn't always work is that i try to keep a book around with me i take down notes if i have a thought because you know you get some of the best thoughts at the most awkward weird time you'd be on the bowl taking a dump you with your woman you could be in a car and you come often come out with like you know what might be a brilliant idea so i try to write them down uh it doesn't always work I'll try to set something up to make like a cool painting. Sometimes if I'm in my studio or somewhere and I'm like, I don't know what the hell I want to do. Let me just, just paint whatever. You know, that happens too. And sometimes because you're not being so precious about it, it they come out better. It's almost like, you know, when you go buy a new black book or a sketchbook and you're like, I'm going to fill this thing up with only the dopest shit. You end up not doing anything in it because you're like, oh, every page is so precious that you don't want to ruin it. So you're not actually exploring, you're not actually doing anything. So that book sits empty. But if you get yourself a ream of like, uh, you know, printer paper and you're just like, oh, I don't give a fuck about this and you just start sketching on it, sometimes you come up with the best stuff because you're not, it's not overly precious and you're able to explore and sort of be free. Both happen. Good stuff comes out of that because you're just willing to be open and free about stuff and, you know, because I definitely think sometimes repetitiveness um, in technique or in process allows you to become better at this thing. You know, like somebody who's really, you know, if you talk about Michael Jordan, you know, he's Michael Jordan because he did that every single day over and over and over again until he perfected it, you know. And that's, you know, talent only goes so far. I think we all like to think that we're talented and then we can just ride on that. And it's just not true. And I've seen it a lot with students and stuff like that is like I've met students who are really talented who didn't work that hard and they were good and some of their raw talent got them through but eh. but I've met people who are less talented who worked their asses off and just grinded themselves into trying to be better and better and they become better than the talented people who didn't work hard that becomes an important factor of just like over and over and over and perfecting and perfecting and perfecting Battling can be competitive, but is there such thing as like positive battling, maybe with your friends or? You know, we would do battles like at Rafe's wedding in Cincinnati. We all showed up there. 
you know, obviously for the wedding. And we were at the night before at the reception, we all started saying, Hey, let's battle some, you know, cause we knew we were going to paint a wall. So we were all drunk and we were just like, all right, you know, you know, clowning each other. Cause that's, I mean, the good thing about our crew is that one, they're, everybody's super smart and they're unbelievably relenting when it comes to just goofing and doing practical jokes I don't know if you've, I mean, I don't know, it's kind of legendary in our, in certain circles of like what we would do to each other. Like kind of before the jackass shit, we just kind of did really fucked up shit to each other, but it was hilarious. So we were having this like, you know, back and forth at the reception. We're like, all right, it's on tomorrow. We're battling. And I, I guess the teams were me, Emmett and East. And that's a pretty strong team. And then it was Rapes, Scribe and Quisp. We would battle, you know, wall for wall, and then we had judges. And as we were battling, it was really, it was a totally 100% true story. We're sitting in like kind of a shitty area of Cincinnati, and we're doing these walls, and out of nowhere, I just looked behind me, and there's like a little sort of kind of dirtbag kid with a sword, like a Conan sword. And we're just sitting there, and he's like, yeah, y'all want to buy a sword? And I was like, I couldn't get to my wallet fast enough to be like, of course I want to buy a fucking sword. He was like maybe 12 years old, and he has like a sword that's bigger than him. So we bought the sword, and that became the DF crown. So for the battle, we battled for the sword. East might have it in his house, but I'm going to put it out there right now to my boys. Fuck all you guys, and we should battle for the sword right now. So we got to make up teams again. Let's plan on battling for that DF sword that we did back in nine, you know, late 90s or something like that. So, Seb, why don't you tell us if there's any way to contact you on if anybody wants to buy any of your fine artwork or, or anything like that? Any plugs or shouts you want to give? It's my name, uh, Tony Surinai. It's C-U-R-A-N-A-J at, uh, dot com. Uh, that's my fine art website. You know, I have my galleries at RepMe, Joshua Liner Gallery in New York, John Pence Gallery in San Francisco. I'll be out in San Francisco actually next week teaching a workshop. But actually, I'm hoping to maybe get out and maybe do a wall out in San Francisco. That check out my podcast, Suggested Donation. Google it, and it'll come up. We're on hiatus for the summer, but we have some, some stuff that we're going to put out soon, some really good interviews coming up soon. You know, I know with podcasting, you should really be consistent. We're the opposite of that. <laughs> but it's just what we do, and we just kind of do it for pleasure anyway. So we're not really trying to do anything but do it when we can. But check that out otherwise. But all the guys mentioned, all the guys out in Europe, Dime, and all those dudes out in Europe, Lumit, and all, like, my boys, guys and girls who've, uh, who've lit up the walls across this country and other, other places. So... You know, I just, in, in general, respect to all those people that have been doing it and keep doing it because, if anything, it's actually more important now to do it than ever before, not only with this, the, the current fucking situation of the world, but also the fact that, you know, uh, real graffiti, as much as I like street art, not all of it, some of it is amazing, some of it is just shit, I'm sorry. You know, to each its own, I would never say don't do it, but I, I think there needs to definitely be, like, the people to continue to do you know this like form of graffiti art that still needs to be out there on the street and doing it beautifully like they've been doing it for a long time and sort of just take that torch and keep going with it 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 take that torch and keep going with it